Heavenly Father, uh, we are we are the Greeks that would see Jesus. And Jesus said in response to those who made that inquiry that if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. We are glad that we find ourselves among those who have been drawn to Jesus Christ. We wish to see him afresh tonight, both um, in the declaration of the word, but if we can say so even more, in the appointed supper, the remembrance that he himself gave us around the table. So please do these things greatly and grandly and gloriously in our lives and for the sake of your Son at your right hand. We pray this in his name. Amen. If you'll uh, turn in your Bibles to John chapter 19, I would like to uh, take you to the place, to one of the places that our dear and beloved Pastor Sam uh, brought us this morning, where his name was seen and known, and it was actually above his head that he was Jesus, King of the Jews. So let's let's go to Calvary um, by way of meditation and uh, devotion tonight, and let's just notice um, verses 28. Uh, through uh, 31. John chapter 19, beginning with verse 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said, to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Since it was the day of preparation... And so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs, but one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth, that you also may believe. Well, I have a simple uh, two-point heading tonight that I hope will bring us very, very close to our Savior. They both start with an A. 
Number one is absurdity. Absurdity. That's our first heading. The second heading is appropriateness. These two things are what we see at the cross. How did Jesus get to this place? How did he find himself on the cross with his name above him, declared to be the king of the Jews? How did he get here? How did he arrive at the place where he could say it is finished and bow his head and give up the spirit? How did he get there? Two headings. Absurdity and appropriateness. It was absurd. It was an absurdity that he should come and be born into this world. It was an absurdity. It is ridiculous. Considered apart from any other standard, just an earthly standard, the standard by which the world lives by, for God to come down as a baby, having been in the womb of a virgin, this is an absurdity. And I can tell you this, Islam cannot believe that. They can believe, they do believe that Christ was a great prophet. They believe that he was in the tradition of great prophets. But they can never believe that God would condescend so low to become a human being. They can't stand that. And that's why they move on and they have another prophet whose name is Mohammed who is better than Jesus. But he is not God either. He just has a further revelation. Well, he was only seen once this sinless, faultless, perfect human being was scarcely seen during his childhood. We only know that he was the son of a carpenter. He was seen one time in Luke 2 and verse 46 when they found him in the temple. And what was he doing? He was in, in verse 46, he's in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And then we don't hear anything about him until he comes as a grown man in this absurd situation, God living on the earth in the person of his own son, Jesus Christ. And so, publicly, we see the absurdity of a God-man on a mission of mercy into a world that when he came, they did not recognize him and they rejected him. They did not know him. But his life was full of nothing, nothing more than goodness and mercy and kindness and truth. No one could find anything wrong with that man. No one could say anything against him legitimately. Not one single word could stick. This was the Savior who came to an idolatrous, fallen, rebellious humanity. That is an absurdity that, that he should care so much that he should do this thing. 
He was the precise embodiment of every prophecy that was told concerning him. Not one thing was left out. Not one thing did he not perform. Not one thing did he not fulfill. And as a sign giver, as the one they always wanted, give us a sign. Show us something about yourself. It is summarized, I think you can summarize it in just one miracle if you want to. You can summarize it in the miracle found in John chapter 9 and verse 32. The testimony of the man who was born blind. What did he say? He said, since the beginning of time, it has never been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. That's what he told them. Jesus did things that were never done since the beginning of time. He turned water into wine. He cast out demons. He stopped a flow of blood. He healed a paralyzed man. He healed the centurion's servant from afar. A nobleman's servant. He restored a deaf-mute man. He rebuked the fever of Peter's mother-in-law. He healed an epileptic boy. He gave sight to the blind. He evaded his own death. He passed through a crowd. They were going to throw him off a cliff and they couldn't find him because he escaped from them. He multiplied loaves. He multiplied fish. He filled nets with fish to the breaking point. He walked on water. He stilled the storm. He got tax money from a mouth of a fish. He condemned the fig tree and it, and it wilted instantly. He raised the dead. He raised a widow's son. He raised a man where there should have been, there would have been, perhaps there was a stench. That is the Jesus. And in the garden, he healed the ear of Malchus, which was cut off with a sword. Who could, who could accuse him of anything? And yet, he's, he's, he's going to find himself on a cross. The miracle worker, the sign giver, the morally faultless one. Who could make anything stick to him? No observation, no plot, no close examination, no further investigation would ever have revealed anything about him, anything wrong with him. If the devil could say something it would only be false accusation. That's all that he could say. Every secret moment, every intention of his heart, every thought that he ever had, everything he ever did. He, he didn't leave one thing out. He didn't do one thing wrong. Nobody could find anything wrong. Nothing could be substantiated. No matter what they said, no matter what they accused him of, there was no evidence for it. It was invention. It was imaginary. No, no, because Jesus could say to Philip, when Philip said, Lord, Lord, 
show us the Father, and it is enough for us. John fourteen eight. Jesus said to him, Have I been so long with you, and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Wow. We have, uh, we have, we have the exact representation. Hebrews 1 3 says, and he is the radiance of his glory. The exact representation of his nature. That's who Jesus is. Morally, that's who he is. Perfectly, that's who he is. He is the exact imprint of his nature. That's what the ESV says. He's like the fingerprint. It's exactly what God is, is all found in Jesus Christ. I was told recently in a sermon that that Greek word can also be translated icon. He's the icon of God. And maybe they didn't think of this a long time ago, but I think of it now. You click on the icon and what opens up? The Father. It's God. That's who Jesus is. He is the exact representation of the one that we cannot see, but who they saw on the earth. And so he was this teacher above all others in excellence and accuracy and exactness and, and completeness as the Father had desired him to be. John 1.18 says, No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side, who is in the Father's bosom. He who is in, who is at the Father's side, he is the one who has made him known. He has explained him. He has declared him. He has done an exposition of who God is. So how did he get there? How could he be dead on a cross between two murderers? It came to the absurdity and upside-downness of that mock trial, an unparalleled miscarriage of justice. Nothing could be more wrong. I say that absolutely and positively. Nothing compares to the injustice that was brought upon this Jesus. This was the very height, the very depth, the, 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 the very expanse of wickedness and sin. It could not be topped. And what's interesting is in the absurdity of it all, there was no voice, not one whisper, not one word in his behalf. Only a troubled Pilate's wife who didn't sleep well on the previous night. And uh, she was of no avail whatsoever. So he is... Uh, He's falsely accused. He's beaten. He's spit upon. He has his beard plucked out. He is scourged. These terrible, terrible things happen. In, 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 in I keep saying the height of absurdity. This is all. This is all wrong. This couldn't be right. And then he has to carry his cross. He has to carry his cross to Golgotha. It's like. Put your, your electric chair together. Attend to the electric chair. Build your own gallows. Do that. 
Load up the guns that you're going to be executed with. Do that. Roll in your own guillotine or guillotine. Bring that with you. Fill the vial. Fill the vial with the injection that will kill you lethally. That's the humiliation of carrying a cross. Carry the very thing that you're going to die on. Carry the instrument of death with you. Lug that cross through the crowd and drag it to Golgotha and be stripped and lay down upon it and be nailed to it. And you know that Jesus was altogether meek and silent and humble as, as a lamb. And then he's raised up on a cross for the mockery of all the eyes that were looking upon him. But you notice in our text, it says, and, and here's, here's where the transition begins to come. In verse 33, it says, But when they came to Jesus, they saw that he was already dead. And they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear. And at once there came out blood and water. The Prince of Life, the one whom all things were made, and all things are upheld by the word of his power, the Prince of Life, is dead. And as I said, Islam, I keep comparing it to Islam because that's the world religion that is coming with such force. It is probably only exceeded by secular humanism, just a godless, uh, uh, independent life. But for a, for a religion, this religion cannot abide the death, the unspeakable humiliation and shameless degradation of, uh, of what we call our Savior. Yet, we would be left entirely clueless. We would be uh, helplessly confused, even upset or in, indignant if we didn't have another viewpoint. And that's where the appropriateness comes. It's not only absurd, but it is appropriate. And we are not in a position to judge what is appropriate as a payment for sin. We can't do it. We are the offended party. We, the best that we can come up with, the best that we can come up is rigorous religion and regulations and rights and retreats and works. That's all we have. That's all we can do. That's all the world will ever offer outside of Christ is some kind of works righteousness. That's the best we can do. But, but God has declared what is appropriate. Listen to, again to what Jesus, what is said of Jesus in, in John chapter 19 and verse 28. After this, Jesus knowing that all was now finished. Jesus was on a mission. He was, on, he was on a task of monumental proportions. He knew all about it, and He knew when it was finished. And so, in, in these verses, in in verse 20, in verse 30, it, it simply says, when he had received the sour wine, he said, 
it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Jesus was in total control of that situation. He knew what he had to do. He knew when it was completed. He knew when it was finished. He knew what it was all about. And so he was able to cry out in verse 46. He cries out with a loud voice. He doesn't cry out in weakness. It's not a whisper. It's, he's not stuttering and stammering. He's not gasping for breath. He cries out in a loud voice is what the text says. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathes his last. Wow, look at it. Look at this. The, the absurdity crossing over into appropriateness. This is the man who said, the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He bows his head on the cross. That's the appropriate place for him to bow his head because that's the place where he got the victory for his people. John 10:17 says in the words of Jesus Christ himself, for this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life for the sheep. I lay it down so that I may take it again. In, in verse 18, he says, No one, no one has taken it away from me. But I lay it down on my initiative. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I received from my Father. You see, it, it, it's his connection with the Father. It's the work of the Father. It's, it's the desire of the Father. It's the, his partnership, if I can say that. It, 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 it's his agreement in the covenant of grace to do the Father's will. John 6.38 says, For I have come down from heaven, this is Jesus, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Matthew 26:39 says and he went a little beyond them and fell on his face and prayed saying My father if it is possible let this cup pass from me yet not as 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 I will but as you will. This cup, this cup that was filled with the penalty of sin for every one of his people from the beginning of time until the end of time. This cup that was filled with the unmixed wrath of God against sin. This cup, which is the equivalent 
of eternity in hell for every single person for whom he is dying. This cup that caused his soul to draw back and wished, if it were possible, would it pass? Could it pass? Oh, please, could it pass if it were possible? This cup, this cup that the whole world of those who would believe are dependent upon that he would drink it. What? What did he do with the cup that was full of the wrath of God that cannot be measured, that is of unbelievable, incalculable proportions? What did he do with it just for your sins? Just for mine? For what we deserve? For what the countless multitude who hope in him to get to heaven? What did he do with the cup? He drank the very last drop of any just penalty that any of us deserve. There is not one scratch, one half of a drop of wrath for you if you are trusting in Jesus. That's what Jesus did. That was appropriate. That was the right thing. It was the only thing. Here is propitiation. Here is satisfaction. Here is propitiation in the pacification of the wrath of God. Here is the absorption of the wrath of God. Here is the only substitute that the world has. Nobody else even offers one. No one even thinks one is needed. This is what we have. Here is the cup of salvation. This is what we drink tonight. This is what we have been drinking from all along. The cup of salvation is ours because God's Son drank the cup of wrath on our behalf. I say, Hallelujah. That just means praise the Lord. It is so wonderful. And that's why Paul could say, for me to live is Christ. That's why he could say, I press on. We read it this morning. I press on for the goal, for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let's, let's do that. Let's take that away from the table. Let's do that. 1 Corinthians 5.15 says, He died for all, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for Him who died and was raised again on, on their behalf. Let me read you a quote just from this, uh, this lovely World magazine, and then we're done. I love this writer, Janie Cheney, or Cheney, 
however you say her name, I read her every single time. And I like this Andrea, however you say her name, it's always one page. This is just a little brief thing. She says, uh, speaking of our Egypt, where we were bound as, where we were spiritually bound in a spiritual Egypt by our sins, she says, that's the, ter- that's the territory where the Lord invades. Quote, a body you have prepared for me. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. Hebrews 10, uh, verses 5 and 7. This is revolutionary. From the beginning, no one with a body had ever come to do his will. Now somebody would, commandeering our very flesh and driving it deep within enemy territory, uncorrupted, undeterred, faithful to the last hand-to-hand combat for the last enemy to be destroyed is death. She says, and I'm, I'm glad to listen to her, we didn't seek him. He sought us. We don't understand our problem. He does. We can't fix it. He can. The devil knows what we want. He knows what we need. And will move heaven and earth to provide it. He did that in Jesus. Heaven trembles when God comes down to earth. Earth. Once he places his foot upon it, will never be the same. Praise God. We will never, ever be the same by his grace. Shall we pray, please? Heavenly Father, we, we want uh, to remember Jesus and we want to never ever forget him. We want to have the hearts loaded and full to the brim with gratitude and admiration and devotion to him. We pray that in these next moments when we gather around the table that you will gather with us and that you'll walk among us and that you'll not leave a single participant to his, himself or herself, but visit all of us and show us your glory as we contemplate the elements that represent your work. Help Pastor Sam to guide us and help us to share, help us to share of your grace and your glory in our lives. Oh, be with us this night. We pray in a special way. In the name of that one that we just declared, Jesus Christ. Amen.